This is episode 20 of Extraordinary Women Radio. Welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio. I am your host, Cami Gellner. Women are being called to live with voice, vitality, and vigor. Each month, join me for wisdom-filled interviews with extraordinary women living out loud and making a difference in our world. Their stories will uplift, inspire, and spark your own purpose-driven journey. I am thrilled to bring Katika Roy to Extraordinary Women Radio today. Katika is a dear friend, and she's also the CEO of Pipeline, a company that helps its customers drive economic gains through gender equity. And this interview is so good. And I hope you enjoyed the eclipse this week. Happy Syzygy Week. Yes, that's S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y. And nearly 10 years ago, I chose this word, Syzygy, for my company name. For those of you who don't know what Syzygy means, yes, it is a word. And it means when three celestial bodies are in alignment. So we had a Syzygy this week with our eclipse. I chose this word for my company name because it represents alignment. Alignment to who we are and the good we're meant to be bringing out into the world. And Katika, our guest today, does just this. And I don't know about you, but I felt a magical and a mystical energy with our eclipse this week. Here in Colorado, we had about a 93% view of the eclipse. And it felt to me like everything in the whole universe was all in. I set up a ritual circle with candles and sage. It was just me and my horses and all the birds around, who, by the way, got pretty quiet during those actual three minutes of the the nearly full eclipse. I felt this coolness come over me. I think we had about a 10-degree drop in temperature when the moon was fully over the sun. And it was just really spectacular. It was like we were moving through a passageway to a new way of being. I believe this passageway is huge and important, perhaps even an evolutionary moment in time. The weeks preceding the eclipse have been pretty intense. I think you'd all agree with this. All of the unrest in the nation, the intensity of discussions around race and gender and politics and war, We saw the worst in some people, and we saw the best in many people. And I don't know about you, but I felt a lot of big emotional swings leading up to the eclipse. I found myself teary a couple of times. I was questioning. I got triggered. I found myself irritated. On social media, and I saw a lot of judgment that people voiced, claims that people should respond in these ways to these times and these circumstances. And if they didn't, they were bad or they were wrong. And that triggered me, even with all their good intentions, even if they meant good with that. And as I considered why that triggered me, I found my own truth. My truth is that I believe we all have the right to process and speak to unrest in the things that we stand for in our own individual and unique way. We never know the full story of any one person. And simply taking this slice of a moment in social media doesn't give us reason to project our opinions on the way one should or shouldn't be responding to events of our world. 
Many people have never felt this level of intensity of emotions and public turmoil. The fear, the anger, and I'm sad to say the hatred. All this energy had me hungry for ways to go introspective, to go inside, to think about what it was that this all meant for me and what I was supposed to do with that. And that's what I did. I went to an event last weekend on global transitions and change. I took in information. I let it settle. I spent a lot of time outdoors taking in the beauty and the smells and the sounds. And I journaled and I journaled and I journaled. And I made space for my own work, considering who I am, what the gifts of me are, and what I want them to stand for. And how do I want to be helping? And what do I want to be known for? Yes, applying this work that I do with my clients to my own self, my own business, my own work. And it all felt so very timely leading up to the eclipse. It felt like I'm leaving behind some old, letting go of things that no longer served, and opened to an important next evolution of what my work stands for. All in alignment to the eclipse. All in alignment to what I feel is important that I stand for. I think a lot of people experience the energy in the same way. I have spoken to so many people about what it meant for them. And there was a lot of breaking through to the other side happening. I hope you have had the opportunity to go deep, to go deep, to get introspective on what all of this around us means and how you want to engage and change in your own unique way. And if you haven't, take some time this week. I invite all of us to keep approaching our world with love. I invite all of us to consider, consider the type of energy we are putting out into the world, how you resonate energetically. Is it hurtful? Is it hateful? Is it judgmental? Or is it strong, loving energy? For that is what drives change. And I invite all of you to light a flame around what you care about and find your way to make a difference because our world needs you. Our guest today, Katika Roy, has done just that. She turned her passion for women's causes into a business that is making a difference. She did it her way. I fell in love with Katika and her work and all she stands for, for the very first time I met her. Her company, Pipeline, is brilliant. It's a software-as-a-service company that leverages artificial intelligence to identify and drive economic gains through gender equity. Katika is driven by a passion to eradicate economic inequality and champions the rights of refugees, women, and children. Katika Roy is a, an award-winning business leader with more than two decades of experience in technology, healthcare, and financial services. She has a rare combination of expertise in and passion for gender equity, people analytics, and sales operations. Katika was recently named a luminary by the Colorado Technology Association and is a 2018 Colorado Governor's Fellow. She pours her knowledge and unique lens into several community and global initiatives that she cares deeply for. Let's meet my friend, my fellow passion worker, and a woman who makes big things happen in our world, Katika Roy. 
Well, welcome, Katika. It's such exciting times for you right now. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you on. What, did you get to watch the eclipse yesterday? I did. My family and I actually drove to Stapleton, Nebraska to see the full uh, solar eclipse, I guess, in totality, which was amazing. And um, I'm really excited that we had that opportunity. It's kind of perfect timing, too, as you're in the midst of all this manifesting and launching and everything that's happening in your world. Yeah, it, it was. It, it is um, sort of all these different things coming together, my personal and my professional passions coming together and, and launching my, my own company. And it really was just this amazing, amazing culmination and connection between all these different pieces together. And, and I think um, was just thinking about the significance of that happening, especially sort of as I commenced uh, finishing my MBA program. That's that right. You did that this week company, too. Right. <laughs> I did that. Yeah. So I did that on Saturday. I had a little bit of a break on Sunday and then got up really early on Monday to drive to, you know, out and back to Nebraska to see the eclipse. But it, I was thinking about sort of the timing of that and, you know, having kind of been in some, to some extent sort of kicked out of the nest of uh, being in an MBA program while launching a company, which feels like sort of a safe place to be. Um, and sort of the timing of it, I thought was really interesting and symbolic as we go out to, you know, launch pipeline and, and, um, and really start to engage more broadly with people yeah. around gender equity and what that means. So, yeah. yeah. So I, as you know, I have a, a great appreciation for what your company stands for and that your passion and your life work all around gender equity and economics. I'd really like to start with your own story. And was there a defining time or situation that really sparked this fire and passion that you have for creating gender equity? Yeah, you know, it's probably, I have a few of them. Uh, so I am the youngest of six kids, five mm -hmm. girls, and mm -hmm. I'm the youngest by far, actually. My my nearest sibling is 13 years um, older than I am. Okay. So I had this interesting opportunity to, to watch my siblings um, in sort of their lives before I kind of got to that spot. And one of the things that I saw with my sisters is just um, how much not only they suffered, but their kids suffered because they didn't have economic equality. Um, you know, it wasn't until 1974 um, that uh, women could get a credit card without right. the signature of a male um, family member. And so just, you know, watching them and thinking, I don't ever want to do that. So, you know, it had that probably pretty ingrained um, from in a me very from young time I was a little girl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I, you know, the two tipping points for me, really, one was uh, when I was on maternity leave. Um, and, you know, I had, while I was on maternity leave, my boss's position had been eliminated. And when I, when I got back, I was asked to uh, take over a team. To, like two days after I got back, I was asked to take over a team. And then two weeks later, I was asked to take over another team. And, uh, and I, I looked around and my, I was the only woman on the leadership team. And my male colleague had been asked to do something similar, but he was at a more senior level. And he'd also received variable pay to compensate him for taking on the additional work. Right. And so, and I didn't get offered either of those things. And so I was, um, 
I was, you know, working to, uh, you know, with HR to try and get paid equitably, basically. I mean, that was really the net of the story is how I worked with um, HR to try and get paid equitably. And um, so nothing was happening. And, and finally, I said to them, look, this is a Lily Ledbetter issue. Every time you pay me, the statute of limitations starts over. What do you want to do about it? And it was that point at which I did that, that they actually changed my grade and gave me back pay and, um, and made it right. But I think it was really this idea of this personal experience of having to fight to be paid equitably right. and um, thinking like, what, like, yes, it turned out, but why do I even have to do that? Like why, yeah. I had to spend time researching laws and, and, um, and I, it, it was just not okay. And, I, and so, um, so I think for me, that was a big tipping point. I think the other thing too, there were two kind of things that happened at that point. One was um, I was reading Mika Brzezinski's book, Know Your Value. Mm-hmm. And from reading her book, I, I, was, I realized that I was not the only one that was actually fighting for this. I mean, I think to some extent, one of the issues has been sort of this isolation of not knowing that exactly. other people are also fighting for something similar. And so when we come together, it's like, wait a second, I had that experience too. The other was that I'm the primary, well, actually the sole support breadwinner for my family. My husband's a stay-at-home dad. And when I had to fight to be paid equitably, one of the things I just asked myself was why, why does society undervalue my children simply because their mom works and their right. dad stays home? Like, why, right. why is that worth less? And so, uh, so that was really my sort of re-engagement, I would say, from the, uh, my work as a little girl um, to actually, um, you know, working on gender equity, um, you know, and then, and then really the idea for Pipeline came from a radio show that I was on in uh, November 2015 for Game Changing Women. Yeah, but asked, before, let me ask you something before oh, yeah. we go there, because yeah, yeah. I want to, um, I want to um, just for our listeners, you know, who are in the working space. And, and I think when I, and I go back to my old corporate days, so often when we got into salary negotiations, you know, we didn't know what our male counterparts were, were making or earning. And um, what would you recommend? What would you tell people listening who might be in that kind of situation? And I know you've already said you did the research. You went out and you, you, know, you looked up laws and you did the different things that you had to do. But what would you tell people beyond that and, and how to navigate through that? Through salary negotiations, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and making sure that you know, just that awareness of knowing that you are being paid equitably. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so um, that's a good question. I the. So first, I would just not be afraid to talk about it because Mm -hmm. there are actually laws that protect you now, not everywhere, but there are laws that protect you now where um, you can actually talk about it more openly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those, you know, those are, I would ask those questions. I would ask about salary grades and where people sit within those salary grades. I think that's important. I think, you know, with Glassdoor and some of the pay transparency that's on Glassdoor, that's really valuable information to understand where you are compared to the industry. Right. Um, And, you know, just advocating for yourself, I I would say, and I will say with the caveat of that being said, 
a lot of the narrative around gender equity, I, I believe, um, and it's been my experience, has been focused too much on fixing women mm-hmm. and not enough on fixing the system. Yes. You know, it, it should no longer be that, the, that, that a woman should have to spend her time uh, researching those laws and understanding how to navigate salary negotiations in order to be paid equitably. Right. We should hold that as a standard in our society. I mean, one of the things in, in, in the United States, 40% of households with children under the age of 18, women are the sole or primary breadwinner. Wow. And, and, we, and in our state of Colorado, that it rises to 42.5%. Mm-hmm. And we are leaving those, if we, if we as, a, as, a, as a country and, as a comp- and, and companies and our society do not pay women equitably and continue to put the narrative on women, we are not only leaving women behind, we are leaving the next generation behind. And the whole society and behind, right? The whole, that's right. And, yes. and, and actually, in, 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 in the other, um, you know, the other 60% where, you know, actually 40% of those households actually re- also rely on women. That women may not be the primary breadwinner, mm-hmm. but actually they also rely on women's earnings. Um, for their economic sustainability. So this is fundamentally not a women's issue. This is fundamentally not about fixing women. This is about changing the narrative to understand the problem is not women. The problem is the system. We need to fix the system. And and when companies do step into paying their employees equitably, they, um, they, have higher profits. I mean, there's, there's really good information behind that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's everything from, you know, the Hallmark McKinsey research that was done both globally, um, which showed up to $28 trillion that we could add to the global economy by having gender equality. There is um, the research. They also did a slice of that for the United States. That was 4.3 trillion. They've also shown specifically down to the company Catalyst and Credit Suisse and Bloomberg and Morgan Stanley and a number of others have also done um, that research. And actually, Pipeline did research in the beginning. We looked at a sample size of 4,000 companies. And what we found was that for every 10% increase in gender equity, there's a 1% to 2% increase in revenue. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. I was just having a conversation a few weeks ago with a woman who has been a chief um, investment officer of a company. And she was mentioning to me that, that the investment community is even getting wise to this and they're starting to, you know, mm-hmm. say companies, you need to change the, the um, diversity on, on, on your boards and your leadership teams. And so, you know, this is just becoming much more well-known and understood of how it makes a difference and how it impacts. So I think we are, are we are taking the right steps right now. Um, and I, and I, you talk about the leaky pipeline. T- tell, tell us a little bit more about this. Why are you committed to fixing yeah. the leaky pipeline? Yeah, and I want to talk about that. I want to comment one thing about what you said. One of the things that was also interesting is that earlier this year, State Street actually voted against uh, members of 400 boards based on diversity ah. because there is such a strong tie 
between, uh, and this is actually in July, but between diversity and corporate performance, that they actually took a very strong stance. And they were, on State Street, as most people know, was also behind the Fearless Girl that was on Wall Street. Okay. Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that. So, so we're, we're seeing that. And, and with investable assets actually transferring to women, you mm-hmm. know, over between now, I think, and, uh, you know, now over the next 15, 20 years, we actually see that, you know, gender lens investing is becoming more and more mainstream. Very cool. As well. Very cool. So, yeah, when we talk about the leaky pipeline, you know, when we, uh, what we see Throughout the life cycle of um, women in the workforce, we see what we would call opt outs. You know, where, where women opt out, mm-hmm. and um, and understanding um, that that doesn't just impact that that woman, but it actually impacts companies and it impacts impacts our economy. So we know from research that from the very beginning, um, the very first promotion. Um, that men and women receive, corporate America is more likely, men are, are 30% more, are, are promoted at a rate of 30% greater than women. Okay. So that just sets up a very leaky pipeline. There's also a narrative around um, women leaving to have children. And actually what the research shows is that women leave, they're, they're about 40% of women leave when they have children, but mm-hmm. it's not why they leave. of women who leave actually leave for reasons, for issues in the workforce, not because they have a child. And so that's another um, sort of, I would say, urban myth or or a piece of the narrative that we need to fix. So what's Um, the, what is, what are the reasons that they leave as far as the issues? What's the, what's behind those issues? Yeah, there's a, there's a myriad of reasons, right? So there's, it's not just one. We would, Mm -hmm. you know, when we, when we looked at that research, we saw that, you know, it wasn't um, it wasn't because they had children that they left. It was for things like not being advanced, as, you know, not being that thirty percent, right? So mm. not being um, having the same opportunity, basically, as men have, right? and having and the frustration so with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, and then you also have at the same time compounded with that, women take on twice as much unpaid work. And we know that that goes up when women get married and then when they have children. Mm-hmm. And so you have this downward pressure of not having as much opportunity at work, having more obligations at home. And it's just kind of the easier thing um, to, you know, stay home, um, you know, to stay home if you have that opportunity. And we actually know that a lot of families don't have that opportunity. But. Right, right. So what do we do about that leaky pipeline? So, yeah, so I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, the leaky pipeline looks at um, really, uh, in addition to um, where women are opting out, whether that's, um, you know, where they're moving in organizations. The other thing that's actually happening from a macroeconomic perspective is that we have a really, uh, really um, serious, I would say, skills gap growing, both in the United States and globally. So uh, by a couple of studies projections, we will have 5 million jobs in the United States by 2020, so that's less than two and a half years, that we will not be able to fill. And that number grows to almost 
40 million globally. Mm-hmm. Um, when we look at just computing jobs, we actually, by 2020, will only be able to fill 29% of those jobs wow. in the United States. Wow. Yeah. And when you look at um, a world that is fast moving toward the digital economy and the fourth industrial revolution is coined by the World Economic Forum, where, you know, your value is in data. So if you look at like Airbnb or Uber, um, you need that talent to grow. And not having that talent puts us at a, a significant risk. And so, um, so we actually believe at Pipeline that part of, part of um, there were really kind of two key things that we could do to actually um, to fix the leaky pipeline. So one was to actually tie together, tie together uh, gender equity and the decisions around gender equity and economic outcomes. So I talked a little bit about the study we did, which showed that for every 10% increase in gender equity, there's a one to 2% increase in revenue, but actually driving that down to where the human capital decisions are made. So for instance, when you're hiring someone, understanding the projected economic value of each of those candidates to that team. Um, or understanding the, um, the economic value of actually paying someone equitably, um, as well as when you do performance reviews. So we know, for instance, um, in performance reviews, there's a couple of things that happen. One is that women, on average, are not given as much specific feedback as men, so it's a lot harder for them to improve. Um, they also are, there's sort of a double meaning to different words that they're described as. So. So fixing that actually has an economic impact. So we felt that if we could intercept those decisions, make recommendations, and then actually quantify it, that we would be able to make a change quickly by the culmination of all those little decisions over time. So that was a a big piece um, that we felt that was important. The other part of it was really this larger narrative around engaging women. So we would say like, to some extent, it's a B2C, but it's also a democratization of that information and how do we engage more people in that conversation so they can actually advocate for themselves. Okay. So it's, it's both within, it's, it's creating the systems within the company and then it's an educational component of, of, of community of, of giving women the tools to have those conversations. And we actually, one of the things that we do, so in, in a use case, for instance, of um, hiring, mm-hmm. we would actually, and we do internal hiring, so these would be internal candidates. For each of those internal candidates, we can actually send to each of those internal candidates what, um, that they would be a great fit for the, the job opening and what their projected economic value is to that team. So it's really more focused around enabling people to advocate within um, a corporation and actually um, advocate based on economics. Okay, so you're be, you're that able to tie those those kind of metrics to the process. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So let's talk a little bit. And we've already talked a little bit about this, but the gender equity and the economics of it all, right? It's why does it matter? Why is it so important for our society today? Yeah. So there's. Um, I think it, you know, there's a few things that, that tie to that. First is this goes back to the narrative around um, women are not broken, the system mm-hmm. is broken, and, mm-hmm. and that really understanding the change in that narrative, um, really that is our path to, 
to gender, or it's a stronger path, I would say, to gender equity when you look at the macroeconomic trends. Mm -hmm. It also gets us away from from what, and we didn't coin this term, but it's a great term, but um, what we what has been called benevolent sexism, mm -hmm. which is this idea of um, including women is the right thing to do. Um, and, and, when we, and yes, it is the right thing to do, and we absolutely agree with that. The issue is that when we only look at it as the right thing to do, it becomes optional. Right, right. Right. And, so, and it, it's not optional to the people who are impacted. <laughs> right. You, you know, it's not optional for those 40% of households that are led by women or the other 40% that actually rely on women's earnings or the fact that you as a company constrict your economic pie when you don't include women. You know, it's really interesting when, you know, as you're talking about this, it's, it's, it's so important to take it down to the, the individual face of somebody that this is impacting the family members that this is impacting, but then you can also see it from the macro side of it. So it's, it's really um, an interesting swing to go to both sides of this and, and, and consider mm -hmm. it from both sides. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. One of the things that we do, I totally agree. And, and, and one of the things that we do as a company is when we, when we do one of the things we offer it for companies is a free pipeline dashboard. So if you, share your data with us, we can actually tell you where your kind of biggest gaps are from a gender equity perspective. And as a follow-on to that, we will do um, uh, what we call an employee empathy session, which is a, a design thinking session that most people are familiar with from a customer empathy map perspective and understanding the pain of the customer. Mm -hmm. And we do that, but from an employee perspective and understanding what is that employee's experience um, if they, if you have a really low percentage, for instance, of women in sales leadership or in engineering, what is the employee experience of that woman on the team? Right. And the stories, right. And that, and actually understanding, I would say the qualitative face and, and also the face and the name, if you will, not, not specifically calling out anyone, but really having the understanding the story, the, the story and yeah. the, and the, um, what they, what it feels like to, in that role day in and day out mm -hmm. it's a completely we found it's a completely eye-opening experience for our customers because they had no idea that that actually was what their female um, employees in those roles were experiencing on a pretty consistent basis and why then they would opt to go to you know for, for instance like um, staff roles like HR marketing which are more female dominated yeah, you know, I think part of the wisdom that I've always seen in your business and, and you know, when we've talked about this in the past, Katika, is that you are able to bring, you know, the, the quantitative side of this, the, the numbers, the math to it, but you're also bringing this emotional, you know, human experience, if you will, to it. And I mm -hmm. think that that combination is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I mean, because it, 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 it so we believe because um, you really need the, the emotion connected to the logic, mm -hmm. right. The, and the math, the mm -hmm. math, right. We would say the math, but those two things tied together. And one of the things we also feel that's really important is to bring as much as we can is to bring as many people along in that conversation as possible, because we all start typically in different spots. And so we really want to cast a wide net of including people 
in the gender equity uh, conversation and sharing voices as we you know move toward that path that ultimately quite frankly benefits all of us right so bringing men into the conversation as well so is that what you what you mean when you say casting the I would wider say net men, yeah men uh, yeah absolutely men need to be part of that conversation um so do people who don't agree with us need to be part of that conversation right, or, or right. maybe who are sitting on the fence like mm-hmm. you know let's let's take an empathy view to them and understand why we don't have to agree with them but we can understand where they're coming from Mm -hmm. and then you know help to move them you know you know sort of move them uh, within that conversation right you know and I'm so about right now bringing the people to the conversation on whatever you know we're looking at in our world let's bring the people to the conversation let's hear let's open Mm -hmm. conversations um how does that shift cultures? How does it shift um, the relationships that are within the organizations? Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so, and I think this is really the beauty of marrying the economics, the quantitative with the, more, you know, the stories and the more qualitative, which is that it becomes less about us or less about women and more about everyone. And really, um, that, that improving gender equity is, inc- really does improve the economic pie for everyone. And when we talk about including men in that conversation, there's actually a number of different, um, facets of that that we believe are important. So there's some of the more typical ones that are talked about, which is men hold most of the leadership positions right there, something mm-hmm. like 82% of the CEOs and you're more likely uh, to be a CEO, um, if your name is John. Oh, I know. I saw that last week. (laughs) That was, that, (laughs) that, that statistic drove me crazy. It was like, there's more John CEOs than there are women CEOs. Women CEOs. Yeah. Yeah. And more David CEOs. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so understanding that, you know, so, uh, you know, men do have, you know, have the, um, do sit in the position of power Mm -hmm. and, and even if you look at the positions that they hold within organizations, even if you have like a 50-50 split on your C-suite, they, they typically hold the more powerful positions. So whether that's the head of sales or head of revenue or, you know, the CFO, they, they typically are in the power circles of the organization. So that's, that's one. I think the other is that we, gender equity also includes the fact that we have boxed men in to what we believe is really what it means to be a man, really, mm-hmm. and, and, the, mm-hmm. and the sort of binary gender definition. And I think when we, um, and, and if we measure men only by their being a good provider, we've also boxed them into the value that they can provide, right? Mm-hmm. So there, there are benefits that show, for instance, just if you look at stay-at-home dads, right? Stay-at-home dads actually have children that are better problem solvers than stay-at-home moms. Mm. And, and if you have a stay-at-home mom, your your children are more likely to be empathetic. So, so there's values on both ends. It's not like women naturally do that better than men. And so if we can really cast a wider net around what it means to be a man or be a woman and those values, we can really um, open that up for everyone, not just women. Right. So everybody's bringing the best of who they are to the table and um, really sharing that and, and evolving and growing together with that. Yeah. I mean, if you just think about the sort of, I would say the plight of the stay at home dad and, and, you know, I know a few, my husband is one of them, but there, I know others that stay at home. It's actually 
um, if you think about their support system, it's more isolating for them as a stay-at-home dad because they're not, they typically are not going to go to like the mom and me groups or some right. of the more kind of typical things that stay, stay-at-home parents do. So how do we, and you know, um, support them in taking that step and, and, um, and really taking some more of what is really important work, but also some of that unpaid work so they don't feel like they're less of a man or they don't feel like they're isolated. And those are just as important pieces of the gender equity conversation as um, women having, you know, full economic opportunity at work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense to me. So what's the difference between gender equity and equality? So the easiest way to describe that is to actually paint you a picture. So if you, um, the, if you sort of picture a fence and mm-hmm. three people at different heights, right? So one is 6'5", uh, one is six foot, and one is, um, you know, 5'5", five, five, mm-hmm. and they're all trying to look over the fence. Equality gives them all the same um, block of wood, the same height of block of wood to stand on to look over the fence. And the person okay. that's 5'5", five, five, might not actually be able to look over the fence, right? Um, equity actually gives them different different um, heights of, of blocks to stand on mm-hmm. so that they can all see over the fence. And that's fundamentally the, the difference between equity and equality. And, you know, basically equity is the path. Equality is the destination. Ah, okay. And so when you think of, you know, what pipeline is bringing to the world, if you will, um, how, you know, how does that, picture paint differently for, for what you are bringing into the world? Yeah, so we, we do focus on gender equity, and that's why we focus on gender equity, because in order to have gender equality, gender equity precedes it. So we are looking at how do you make up for, so if you think about the different, you know, levels, mm-hmm. you know, the, of the different heights, the, uh, that's what we're making up for when we look at gender equity, those sort of inherent systemic biases that have held women back. And how right. do we make up for those so that everybody has, that, so that ultimately we actually all get to equality. And it's, and by the way, it's not about holding anyone back. It's about fundamentally expanding the economic pie so that everybody has a bigger, bigger economic pie. It's not a zero sum game. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's, I mean, I think that's, what's really important is, is understanding that this shifts the game for everyone. It does. Right. And it shifts it for our children and our, you know, our boys and our girls and what they believe that they can be. I mean, you know, I, I even just think about that, about sports on television and how much do we show women's sports on television versus men. Right. And I had a personal experience with this because my daughter is pretty athletic. Um, Mm -hmm. And so she plays soccer. And so we were trying to find women's soccer on TV and we couldn't. So we put on men's soccer and she looked at us and she said, well, only boys can play soccer. Mm. And you're like, wait a minute. I was like, wait a second. That's not true, but, but, but that's all she's seeing, right? So right. how do we begin to change those images so that they can, so, you know, our boys and girls can actually see all of the opportunities that are actually in front of them, not just what, you know, what we sort of have narrowly defined yeah. is okay for them to do. Yeah. So then you were able to go 
expose her to some women's soccer, I'm guessing, and, and, and help change that picture, that view. Yeah. Yes. And yes. And my absolute favorite time for watching sports on TV is the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And the reason is it's more equitable in terms of, um, of ter- in terms of showing women's and men's sports mm. that my little girl gets to see, you know, I don't have, you know, that, that my little girl gets to see uh, women and, as well as men competing. And so, yes, we did find it and certainly, but also I love the Olympics because it's far more equitable. Right. Right. So I so admire everything that you're taking out into the world right now. And I, and I, one of my favorite authors, Tara Mora, the, the author of Plain Big, says that the bigger the idea and the more it resonates with your purpose, and I, and I think Pipeline just totally resonates with your purpose, right? Okay. Is, is the more likely it is that you're going to experience big fear, you're going to experience self-doubt. And right now you are courageously taking these big, bold leaps with Pipeline. And you're saying yes to the, this vision of change that you can create. What would you say about Tara's claim about, you know, when you have this, when you're taking a big leap into your purpose, do you experiencing the, the big fear and the self-doubt that comes along with that? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think anytime you do, <laughs> yes. I think anytime, and right, I think anytime you do something, and you're probably experiencing that to some yeah. degree, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, to me, what what I was thinking about when you asked me that question was vulnerability, uh-huh. and this idea of when we have the willingness to, you know, as Brene Brown would say, to step into the arena or to you know step up and be fully seen, right? Which is right. really when you're you have this big idea and it does resonate with your purpose that um, I, I would say that sort of the, the um, both sides, right? You have the fear and the self doubt and that's also coupled with this vulnerability and showing up and being truly seen. Right. Um, and so uh, certainly that's been my experience but I also care about it more. So I'm right. more motivated to work harder on it and longer on it. Um, not because it's about me, but because I know that I have a unique set of skills, which positions me to be able to affect a lot of people in a very positive way. Right. And so, um, so those are the things that, you know, I think about, and I, I actually do, I, I, I fundamentally believe um, that, my mindset as the CEO of Pipeline um, has a, a huge, if not the biggest, impact on Pipeline and whether mm-hmm. or not it will succeed. So what do you and do to so take that, care of that? Yeah. So I do lots of things because I don't believe there's just one silver bullet. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, uh, you know, I, I'm a, I read um, a couple of uh, books um, you know, every morning, um, one is the universe has your back by Gabby Bernstein. Love that book. The other is, I love that book too. Cause it's like, it's not about avoiding fear or any of those other things, but really about how do you embrace it and walk through it. And yes. so I love the way that she, she does that. And I love the fact that she also talks about her own story, which is very relatable. Um, and then, um, Jen Sincero who wrote that, wrote the book you are a badass and then the follow-on follow-on <laughs> book I, I i love that book and my children by the way i think it's hilarious that their mom has a book with a cuss word on the page but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um 
<laughs> but, uh, but, um, but you know, that, that I, I do those two things. I listen to Tony Robbins quite a bit. I, um, I do uh, with a, a lot of frequency. I meditate um, to Deepak Chopra and Oprah. I, I, they, I really like, I have, I own all of the, their meditations, but I really like to become what you believe because when you're an entrepreneur and when you are doing something um, really big, like Tara Moore talks about, um, your core beliefs are critically important because they will come out. Right. And so really resetting, I would say, and, and staging yourself for that in a big way is really important. Um, and then I would say the last thing I do pretty consistently is listen to really positive music mm-hmm. um, when I work. And that really just helps me to, con- you know, to continue to see the vision of pipeline unfold right. um, and, and really be able to embrace that, um, you know, you know, as I, as I move forward. Yeah. I play with music a lot too. I need to have good music in my office and it's what, you know, it's, it's, it puts me in a different energetic space that, that makes me move and, and, and step into things in a bigger way when you've got that kind of music around you. Yeah. And my experience of it too, is those things are, you know, our, our brain is wired. Our brain is not wired to make us happy. Mm -hmm. Our brain is wired to keep us safe. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, so, right. So my brain is actually wired for me not to be an entrepreneur and for me not to, you know, do what Tara Moore talks about and play big. My, my, my brain is wired for me to, to not do any of those things. So, so, basically helping to rewire it over and over and over again helps yeah. me to continue to move forward and see what is possible and what is right with what we're doing versus obstacles that might come up. Yeah. And the one other thing that you mentioned, even before we got on the phone or before we started the recording today, which is the exercise piece, how important that is as well, right? It's that's mm-hmm. one of those things that if we're moving our bodies and we are practicing ways of keeping our mindset in a strong way, all of that helps us move through fear and self-doubt in a, in a much stronger way. Definitely. And that's actually why I signed up for the, the rock and roll half marathon in Denver in October. Right. To actually force myself not to hit the snooze button or, you know, to really make sure that I was doing that on a regular basis, because I know for me that that discipline of getting up every morning and exercising actually has huge domino effects on everything else I do that day. Yeah. And I just want to really acknowledge your um, insights into your mindset is one of those key factors to the success of pipeline. So being aware of that and taking care of that and making space and time for that is so important. I just really honor um, your, your awareness of that. So um, kudos Mm -hmm. on that. How Thank are you, you. how Thank are you, you mentoring and guiding women today? So amongst all of this, right? I, <laughs> amongst all the other things, I probably do it. Uh, there, there are probably uh, two, two things I do. One is probably more informally and that's, you know, connected to what we were talking about and how you show up every day, right. Mm-hmm. And how you, um, how you do that. And then the other is, is more formally. So my biggest focus in mentoring and guiding women today because I was taught a really long time ago about having one hand forward and one hand back. Mm-hmm. And it has, has largely, yeah, 
right? Because I wouldn't have gotten to where I got to without the help of other people. Yes, mm-hmm. certainly I worked hard and I put in the hours and ultimately we're all connected, right? Right. And so how do I take that and give that back? Um, what I pr- primarily focus on with gut mentoring and guiding women today is getting the women who um, sort of, I, would, I call it like the sandwich, right? So if you sort of picture like an Oreo cookie <laughs> with the filling, uh-huh. like the filling part is, is, is when it's that it's the piece between when you get married and when your, your children are sort of, um, school age uh-huh. that, that, um, you know, when it's hardest for women at work, right. Cause they also tend to have, they tend to get promoted at that time. So they're sort of being sandwiched, if you will, like, you know, from home and work. Right. And so a lot of the focus that I have done having been through that, uh, with women is actually getting them through that piece. Like mm. it will get better. Here's the strategies that I use. Like here's what I did to minimize, you know, the amount of work um, that I had to do at home, but also be supportive of my family and, and really sharing the strategies that I did. And then really being um, someone to listen, to, you know, someone who can listen to them as they're making it through so that right. we actually get, you know, that more of those women actually will stay. Right. And so, um, so that's, uh, that's a really good that's, space that's, to put focus to put on. Yeah. I also use my, platform and brand so because of the different things I've done in my work I'll get asked to speak or I'll get asked to teach classes and wherever it is possible I will bring a more junior woman with me so that she gets that visibility and her name out there as well and that's actually something that a mentor did for me which was a huge catapult to my career Mm -hmm. and so I really try and pay that pay that forward with other women oh I like that I like that so tell us what's happening in the world of pipeline right now and um, just about where people can fa- find out more about you and your work. Yeah, absolutely. So um, pipeline is, we will launch our go-to-market product this fall. Uh, we have a, a few customers um, in the sales pipeline um, uh, and where you can probably find us the easiest is on Twitter at, at pipeline equity with two E's, that's our Twitter handle, and Fix the Leaky Pipeline, um, hashtag Fix the Leaky Pipeline. You can also find us on pipelineequity.co, that's our website, and that's really the two best places on Twitter and then on our website to actually engage with us and see the work that we're doing. Awesome, 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 and I'll put those links on um, the website when this goes up. So our final question today is what three pearls of wisdom can you leave with our audience today? Yeah, I was thinking about that. I, so a lot of who I am, uh, a lot of who I am and what I do, I told a little bit of the stories of my family, mm-hmm. but also comes from a couple of separate pieces, but really, really connected Um, that tie to the pearls of wisdom that I will leave with your audience, which is this. So I am the daughter and sister of refugees. Mm -hmm. My father and three eldest sisters escaped from Hungary after the fall of the 1956 revolution. Uh, My father had been in uh, two camps, one in which he lost all but four of his teeth. And after the revolution fell, he made the decision that it would be, um, better to risk their lives than to to continue to live in Hungary. Mm -hmm. And so they escaped across the border into Austria and they lived in a refugee camp um, for just under two months. And 
President Eisenhower sent his personal plane, which is also Air Force One, to bring 21 Hungarian refugees to the United States on Christmas Day, 1956. And my family were part of those 21 Hungarian refugees. Wow. And so one of the things that I never forget um, is the fact that I would not be where, I would not be here, and I would not be even on this podcast with you if somebody in a position of power had not said, not on my watch. Right. Had not stood up and said, this won't happen. So that's something that I carry forward with me. And so my one one of my three pearls of wisdom would be this, um, I would say it would be humility, but also fortitude around if you are in a position of power, and many of us are, to use that for good. And how are, like, how are you saying not on my watch? That's, that's one of the things mm. that I've always asked myself. So, you know, I fought for not only my own, my own equity at work, but I also fought for the women um, and men on my team to have equal opportunities because I would often inherit teams where women were, were underpaid. So how was I advocating for them as well? Yeah. So how, you know, what, what, so, so that would be the first thing I would say. The, Which gave me goosebumps, second, by uh, the way. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, um, and I, you know, so, so I, I think given that I'm also the daughter of an immigrant and, and my mom has a pretty, um, you know, you know, she has a lot of fortitude and came to here to the United States for equality. She was an orphan at 18 months. But, but the, so that, that uh, grit and resilience, I, I think, are uh, really, really important. And I know they're talked about a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But really, when I think about grit and resilience, I truly believe about believing in yourself, even if no one else believes in you. Mm-hmm. It's really nice when other people give you praise and they believe in you. But you will run up against people who don't believe in you or think you're crazy or anything else. And so believing in yourself despite that is really important and also never giving up. And I, you know, the path to success is not straight. It is far more jagged. And so understanding what your ultimate goal is, but being flexible in how you get there is, is really, really important. Um, uh, you know, I talked a little, and then I would say, you know, the other um, thing is, and, and I know this is said, but I think being the daughter of a, a, of a refugee as well as of an immigrant, this idea of like always doing your best and being incredibly grateful for the opportunities that we have, um, you know, that I didn't want to squander anything um, that, that I had in front of me. And so how was I doing that in the best most thoughtful way possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, even when things were hard, even when I didn't really feel like doing it, <laughs> even though when I thought, you know, that it actually goes back to the vulnerability and the big fear, even, even like just continuing to walk through that, because if I always did my best, I will know that, um, that like there's nothing else I could have done. Even if I don't get perfect grades, even if I don't always get the job I wanted or any of those things, I will know that I actually did my best and that's all I could have done. And chances are, if you stick to it with that kind of a passion, with that kind of grit and resiliency, you're going to get to that place that you're wanting to get to. Like you said, it may not be that same pathway that, that you anticipated Mm -hmm. getting there, but boy, if, if we, breathe fire into what we want to make happen in our lives. That's where we can create change in the world. Yes. 
exactly. I mean, I, you know, I wanted to be a CEO. I always thought that would probably happen at a, I would say at a going concern at an existing company. It didn't, you know, I, I probably had seeds of being an entrepreneur from a kid, but I, I always thought, you know, it would happen differently. But then mm -hmm. it was like, I have this incredible opportunity to do, you know, to start pipeline and do these things differently. And, uh, you know, that was my path to being a CEO, right? Right. And so, you know, being open to what those look like, I think is really mm. important um, because they're not just one way um, to success or one path to success. Nice, nice, nice. Well, Katika, I so appreciate it today. And I um, love your pearls of wisdom. I love your stories. And I'm so excited to watch where Pipeline goes. Thank you so much. It's been such, so much fun to be, uh, to be on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Kimmy. Okay, goodbye. Bye. I hope you liked this episode of Extraordinary Women Radio. If you did, please share this podcast with your own special tribe of women and help spread the love, the dreams, and the inspiration. Are you thinking about making the next bold move in your life? I invite you to take the Your Next Bold Move quiz at CammieGilman.com to find out how you can jumpstart a passionate and meaningful next chapter. You may also enjoy my book, Fire Dancer, Your Spiral Journey to a Life of Passion and Purpose, which is available on Amazon. In Fire Dancer, you will become intimately connected to your heart's calling and build the courage and resiliency to ignite your what's next. I'd love to hear from you on any of my social media channels. I'm on both Facebook and Twitter, and the links are available on my website. Till next time, my friend, listen to your heart, follow your dreams, and be you.